The following is a presentation of the Bellip Sports Media Network. And welcome in, everybody, to another episode of the High Low Sports Podcast. We appreciate you all joining us here on this Wednesday evening, or if you're listening to us once again later on in the week. Either way, we're always proud to talk a little bit of sports with you all as well, too. It is DJ, joined as always by my co-host, Kelsey. And Kelsey, we had ourselves the biggest week in sports, weekend in sports usually per year as well, too. And a very big one. We had the Super Bowl, and we had the coaching carousel stop spinning. And we're just getting started. we got a lot more coming up in the next coming weeks. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, look, Super Bowl 57 came and went, and uh, I think, you know, it was as much as promised, a, a pretty good pretty good matchup. But, you know, there are some parts of it that we, we probably have to talk about, and uh, unfortunately we are still talking about them, I guess, in, in a lot of ways. But, uh, look, I'm glad to see some coaching coaching spots were taken and, and landed. Um, still some coaches out there I think should have a job that don't, um, or at least a new job maybe uh, be, a better, be a better way to put that. But, you know, on top of all that, we're, we're you know we're we're getting closer. It's now we're looking at the NBA All Star Weekend coming up. It's like it's just it's just moving along. Yeah, I mean, next thing you know, it's going to be April and baseball is going to be here regular season. So it's just a matter of time. Where did all the time go? It felt like January took four years, and February was gone in four minutes as well, too. It's amazing how things completely switch like that as well, too. But we are coming up on some of the best fun parts of the year coming up as well, too, in sports. So we got a lot to talk about today, and that's going to go ahead as. And take us into our first segment, also known as the tip-off. The tip-off, of course, brought to you by our good friends over at RexMD, Telehealth for Men. Get 90% off RexMD and only pay $2 per dosage with the link you see on the screen. And you know what to tell you a little bit more about it? Take a listen. Fellas, do you sometimes need a little help in the bedroom? Valentine's Day is just around the corner, and our sponsors at RexMD are here to help you make this the best night of your life. Erectile dysfunction is a common medical issue that over 30 million men in the U.S. tackle every day. We've all had those nights where we get too nervous and just need a little help. The doctors at RexMD will evaluate you online, no office visit needed, and ship medication directly to your door before the big day. With RexMD, they're here to help and provide you with real FDA-approved medications at the best price. Act now to take advantage of their Valentine's Day deal by heading to RexMD.com slash bellyup. Our exclusive deal will save you up to 90% off where you'll pay as low as $2 per dose on generic Viagra instead of $90 plus on Viagra. That's RexMD slash bellyup. For 90% off, your partner will thank you. Absolutely. Once again, tell all for men, RexMD. Check out that link as well too. And in the tip-off, we're going to start things off with a game that was very, very fun. The Super Bowl 57 recap, a very hard ending that left a lot of fans a little bit flaccid and disappointed there at the end, a little deflated, if you will, after it was such a fantastic game. And we'll start, we'll work our way there, though. But my first impressions on the game were two best teams going head-to-head, everything we kind of kind of hoped for as well, too. One team strong lead, other team comeback, coaching adjustments. Somehow corn dogs were involved, too, because Andy Reid as well, too, has to name a play corn dog, And... Honestly, the only thing we were missing was a dramatic two two minute drill, which is what we unfortunately were kind of, I won't say robbed of, but I'll say deprived of. Yeah, I mean, look, the way that game ended, it was just they didn't call anything all game. Let's just let's just get let's just get the cat out of the cat out of the back here. They didn't call anything all game, anything anything touching, conversate like anything between receivers. And then you know, at the biggest in one of the biggest moments, you call a very questionable uh, holding call to say the least. So. Uh, 
yeah, let's just let's just get that out of the way and, and just talk about this for a second. Do you think that was holding, yes or no? Was it holding? Yes. Would I have called it as a zebra? No. And basically, in other words, two things can be true here. If I was a zebra, unless I saw a full-on Superman ripping his shirt off tear, I'm probably going to be like, nah, especially when it's within one yard of the line of scrimmage. Was it holding? And if, yeah. I mean, you even from the back angle, you see the jersey tug. James Bradbury said it was holding. It's not ideal, especially in that situation in the game, but it was worse because they hadn't thrown a single flag all game, it felt like. I think there was like, what, one other flag the whole game, if even that? So I think that's where the... Yeah, it's... Like, it, like the only other flags were obvious, like like the encroachments, the the defensive offsides, the false starts. I mean, there was one false start they missed on Lane Johnson. That was a completely obvious one on Orlando Brown. That's been, that's been a season long well. trend. You don't get a full. He yeah. gets a full kick but, start. <laughs> but like, like so, I mean, let's, let's let's talk. I mean, there was there's one where you have the uh, defensive lineman for the Chiefs literally touching the head of Jason Kelsey with his helmet. Uh, you know, so like there were some obvious penalties, and those were obviously called. But like, there was nothing that was questionable, touchy even sort of iffy until that holding. And, and yes, it was holding. Like, there's no doubt about it. Yes, it was holding. Let's not kid ourselves and trying to make it something that it wasn't. It was holding just at that point in time and that in this in this game and super in a Super Bowl in a close game like this. And and especially at a point where if if they have to kick if they have to kick the ball from that yardage, Harrison Bucker already missed a field goal from that position. So it was a potential that, that he could miss again. Um, and maybe we saw an overtime. But yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I don't know. It was like, to me, I felt like the game at the end of the day just kind of let me down with that moment. But for the rest of it, I think it was a fantastic game. I mean, the Eagles' fantastic performance. I mean, Jalen Hurts, despite the fumble recovery for from Nick Bolton and, and for a touchdown, I mean, Jalen Hurts had himself an absolute wonderful game. That offensive line proved everything they needed to prove. The offensive line for the Chiefs, though, on the other hand, probably proved even more. You know, they had a fantastic game, and that's getting overshadowed by this this holding call at the end of the game as well. I mean, you absolutely shut down Hassan Reddick and, and and really great play calling by insert coach here who's calling plays for the for the Chiefs, whether that's Eric Bieniemy or Andy Reid. Well, you just have to wait and see. Um, but yeah, like like great play calling to get him off his uh, off off his off his uh, stride early. Like I mean, they basically picked on him the first half of the game and then made him second guess everything. Great job by the interior the offensive line shutting down Fletcher Cox for the most part. I mean. This is this is an incredible game from both sides. Like you it really left you sitting there like, wow, the number one defense against a very good offense, who's gonna shut it down? And 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 the Chiefs answered the question, the Eagles offenses answered the question. It was it was exciting. It just unfortunately ended the way it did. Absolutely as well, too. And that kind of begs the question. I'll say also mention as well, too, that one holding didn't lose the game for the Eagles. You had a 10 point lead and then you gave up a fumble six. And then you like you had your opportunities that one and then on defensively you for lack of better terms, collapse in the second half. I know that's Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy and Travis Kelsey on the other side. You let Sky Moore and Kadarius Tony walk in the end zone without thirteen pe- people than thirteen yards of them. They're not like that's something you see at Alabama the last ten years where receivers are that wide open. You don't see that in the, in a Super Bowl game with your number one defense and two All Pro level corners. So honestly, the Eagles, you had your chances that didn't lose it. But redirecting now towards the Chiefs now. Chiefs four three Super Bowls in four years, two victories, one loss five consecutive AFC championship games. Do we call them a dynasty now? Do we just call them the team of the early 2020s? Do we say, how do we classify them right now? I think is the question as well. We're obviously not comparing to the Patriots. That's a 20 year dynasty with two separate three, three out of four. So everybody wants to argue that in new England and that greater Boston area, 
that doesn't count. We're comparing it to every other team to ever play, not them. They're the outlier freaks. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think we talked about this the other day. I forget which day we talked about, which show we talked about this on last week. We were on so many, <laughs> but this question came up. Like, do we? Would we? I think it was fourth and four this last uh, on yeah. on Sunday. You know, um, Jim asked us. You know, do we think that if, if the Chiefs win a title, would they become a, a dynasty? I think, hands down, they they were already a conversation for one of the best dynasties in the AFC. And I think this just solidifies like they are in a conversation for one of the best dynasties in a decade um, in the NFL. Like, you know, you, you, you mentioned that in the 2020s on, on fourth and four that like we're, we had, we don't have a team obviously yet because we've only been here for three years, but you got to say four, four, four straight AFC championships and two Super Bowl appearances in the 2020s already. Uh, not a bad, not a bad record here for the chiefs. Um, so uh, yeah, it's, it, it's one of those things like you look at the team and you look at, look at all of some of the previous other dynasties and, and they fit the mold. I mean, you fit, you, they fit the bill, everything down to coach down to the, to, you know, superstar quarterback, superstar offensive player, uh, you know, superstar defensive player, an underrated defensive player, like Jerry Sneed in a lot of ways, or even Nick Bolton, um, you know, going off the way they played an underrated offensive lineman. That's high quality. And that, you know, you look at Creed Humphrey potentially for that position um, or even Joe Tooney or, take your pick from that offensive line right now. I mean, as far as quote unquote underrated, because even Orlando Brown to some degree is being underrated and, and baby Zeus doesn't get underrated very often. Uh, but yeah, no, I think, I think for sure. I think, I think they definitely win the title and, and you definitely become the, you know, a, a dynasty. Now I think, I think an NFL dynasty is, is easily, easily what they should be considered. And, and especially if they go back and do it again next year. And let's not mention too, uh, they got a full, we got a full decade ahead of us and they've already been to two Super Bowls as well to three of them technically. And they've won one of them. So, I mean, like if you're including the 2019, 2020 fringe, whatever you want to call it, the point is they've been rolling out at the start of the decade and got a whole decade to go. So unless somebody cranks it up to 11 in the going the rest of the way, I think they've pretty much locked down this decade to start right out of the gate as well too. And normally what a dynasty type of t- team faces is they start losing coaching staff and players that go and get paid. Well, they've been able to keep their coaching staff and their key players intact for the most part. However, their opponent that they played in this game, the Philadelphia Eagles, well, they got a laundry list of free agents coming up. The list is like north of 15 as far as like players you would recognize hitting free agency from Javon Hargrave down to TJ Edwards, Kaiser White. And the list goes on and on. Miles Sanders as well, the guy who destroyed many, many parlays on Sunday, not entirely his fault, just due to the lack of getting the ball. And they also lost both coordinators getting head coaching jobs, which is where we're going to turn the focus on this one, too. We'll start with the one that was announced really the day of. It was really good timing by the team to kind of get it buried into the news cycle. Shane Steichen, the offensive coordinator, heading to Indianapolis to take over the head coaching job there. We talked about this a little bit considering the Colts made everybody wait like seven weeks while interviewing everybody and their grandma besides me for the for the head coaching job. Initial thoughts on this one. I, on fourth and four, Zach kind of threw it at our face, and we were both like, oh, well, all right, good hire. Not the best, but it could be much worse. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, now that we have time to think about it, what are your thoughts on it? I, I still don't love it, love it. Like, I don't hate it still. I, I'm i still in between on this one. Like, I think there was still – I think I, I still say Rick Basaccia or, uh, you know, even oh, – wow, uh, Raheem Morris would have been a better sit fit here. And they were finalists for this position as well. Uh, I do think there's a bit to be to be talked about with Shane Steichen. Um, obviously, I've been misquoted. I, I've I've misquoted myself when talking about Steichen before. Um, did not realize that he was with Justin Herbert and Patrick and uh, not Patrick, but uh, 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 Philip Rivers in San Diego or well, San Diego slash LA. Um, and in his early in, in, in Justin Herbert's rookie year, and then joined Nick Sirianni as as he took over. So 
that does change my, my mindset a little bit because I, I was thinking he was the quarterback coach for the Colts under Sirianni. That was my thought process beforehand, and I, I was wrong. Um, but it doesn't change it a whole lot. I still think there were some better coaching hires out there. This is going to be one that I'm really going to have to wait and see, uh, you know, day one. I will say as far as everything he's done with the Eagles, obviously there's something to be said. And who knows, whichever quarterback they go out and get here, if they do get a number one pick or maybe they get Justin Fields in a trade or, uh, you know, maybe they just get the number one pick and they go get Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud, whichever one it is, all of these quarterbacks can move. And so he does have the experience of working with the Jalen Hurts, and I think that does help. Obviously, I'm not saying Bryce or C.J. or Justin – well, maybe Justin Fields. But the other two, not so much is, is the same as a Jalen Hurts type of a runner. I mean, they are willing runners, just not as willing and capable. So he does have that ability to play, put that into the playbook as well. Um, so that does change a little bit, but like, yeah, I still don't love it, love it. I get that. You know what I thought was interesting about him is, you know how in the draft process, the more you look at quarterbacks, especially in other players, the more you dislike them. It's like the more you look into it, the more you almost talk yourself into ways to dislike them. Yeah. Same with head coaches. Like the more you look into them, the more you find yourself ways to dislike them or just find you nitpick a little bit unintentionally, just human nature. He kind of feels like the opposite for me. The more I look into him, the more I kind of like. Like I also found out too that he started his career as a defensive coach as well too. Like he came in with an offensive mind and they're like, nah, you, so he started on defense for working his way. You mentioned you worked with uncle Phil, Phil rivers, the epitome of immobile and very limited talent wise. And his top five in like passing yards all time with a complete, with the little shock put of a throwing motion that just is heinous to watch every Worst time. throwing motion I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, absolutely terrible. Coach Justin Herbert is rookie year, which looking back on it now, two through three years, probably his best year so far. I mean, hit, he was throwing the ball downfield, rolling out to the right, throwing back shoulder posts for 50 yards in the air. And we saw Jalen Hurts that he went from pretty good starting quarterback to, oh my goodness, top five quarterback MVP candidate who obviously you can't really mimic that offense necessarily because very few guys can move like him and can squat 600 pounds and ta- and do what he does basically. But I think he showed the ability to tailor make an offense to whatever quarterback the Colts decide. And they pretty much let the cat out of the bag. Someone young is getting drafted a quarterback or they're, or if Justin Fields is on the trade market, but I, we're going to presume nobody's dumb enough to throw away Justin Fields at this point. Or we're just going to presume the bears aren't that dumb. We you, you'd say that, but honestly, I keep seeing should, should, should the bears move on from Justin Fields. And at this point in time, I don't even know the answer myself. I thought I knew the answer. I thought the answer was a very obvious. You should not move on from Justin Fields. He is your number one and savior. And you just need to draft offensive line. But then I keep seeing all these these pundits keep saying that like, hey, we're we're gonna move on from Justin Fields. And I'm like, what? Why? And like, like you look at it and you're like, the 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 the, the, the all the mock drafts have the Colts either either picking one or one. Like it's either one or they stay where they are. And it's like it just makes you think like, okay, well if you if you're staying where you are, maybe you can swing a Justin Fields trade if the Bears are gonna be stupid and try to draft a quarterback. Or if you're going to go get that number one pick, you're going to give the bears something else anyway. So like, I don't know, man, I, I just don't even know what to think about it anymore. Cause it's, I keep seeing it and it just doesn't go away. It's just like the thing that doesn't go away. And, and to your point about psyching, I do, I do have to add, that's kind of the reason I'm sort of not sold on it is the more I look into them, the more I'm just kind of like, I'm getting nitpicky with it. Like I was comfortable with the hire early on. And I even mentioned that. I think he was going to be a, a higher potentially for the Colts. Just, I don't know, man, there's just something now. I just like, I don't know. I just have to wait and see. I'm so gun shy about some of these hires right now. It 
I will say the one thing that he did nicely is his the last time we saw him as the offensive coordinator of the Eagles, he at least put on a bit of a play calling show there, and he 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 at least flexed a little bit of his muscle in that game as well too. The same can't necessarily be said about his defensive counterpart in Jonathan Gannon, who did not even leave Arizona within forty eight not even forty eight hours after the game ended. He found himself with a new gig as well too as the head coach of the Arizona Cardinals. So basically, the game ends, he interviews, and before the end of the day, he gets hired there in Arizona. And I got, I got a little bit to say on this one. I'm sure you got as well, too. But my first reaction is he must have been their guy this entire time, and they were just sitting and waiting on it until they were basically allowed to do it because that was very quick, the turnaround. And B, I, I don't need to disrespect anybody who's an NFL coordinator or coach. Their credentials, like I'm not going to – They there's a lot that goes into it, but I did not like this fit, and I think he needed at least another couple of years as a D coordinator. I do not like this hire personally. I could be wrong. He could shut me up really quickly. They got a lot of fun pieces there in Arizona defensively. They could shut me up really quick, but I'm not a big fan of this one personally. I feel like what we talked about with Steichen, it was okay. There were some better hires. This one, I feel like there was at least five other guys that you talked to alone that would have been a more suitable hire, especially with the team composition you have. Yes, yes, and more yes. Uh, uh, like, that's all I got to say. I, I, I really, like, how do you get – absolutely dominated in a super bowl and yet you get a job quickly too like Quick, yeah it's like <laughs> and a good like out of out of all the jobs that were really on the table like i honestly gotta say i think the broncos and, and the cardinals jobs are probably two of the like most ideal ones for for coach because with the cardinals you have a you have this year you're basically free to do whatever because you're not going to have Kyler, so they're not going to really weigh this one against you. It's going to be what you do in the next two to three years after that. So, like, I, I think this is a cushy job here. And, and to get somebody like Jonathan Gannon, I'm really mm-hmm. like, I'm going to go back and I, I mentioned him in the in 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 the Super Bowl recap. Eric Bieniemy is still sitting there, ladies and gentlemen. And better yet, go across the board to Steve Spagnola, maybe. Who potentially who almost had a Super Bowl MVP on defense in Nick Bolton had Patty not thrown for three touchdowns and and all and you know his magic there at the end, but like you got it you there's I mean there were two better head coach options in the Super Bowl on the other team and you went with a losing team's co- coordinator who had the worst performance out of anybody on that staff like anybody like. Not even close to any to, to 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 anybody else bad, and I just don't get that. Like, maybe he was their pick, but I, I'd be rethinking a few things. Like, if I saw that performance, and especially against somebody like Patty, and then I know I have to go against the NFC West, like I have to go up against all year long. No, <laughs> not happening whatsoever. And I know I have a young stud defense, which is all the more reason I'm going to be like, no, that's not happening. And then on top of this, the whole thing is you had Hassan Reddick have a fantastic season and get absolutely shut down. And you as a defensive coordinator couldn't figure out how to put him in a position to succeed. And you're going to tell me that you're going to move to a team with zero pass rushing, really? And you have Isaiah Simmons and, and you know in the middle who is a dynamic freak, and you're going to try to do the same with probably Isaiah Simmons your next year. What are you going to do when he gets shut down in the first game? How are you going to find a way to get him to work? Because you showed you showed in the biggest game in your career, you couldn't do it. So what happens after that? 
Definitely didn't show much of a plan B once the Chiefs kind of started figuring out their defense and used the motion, as Andy Reid called it, corndog in the red zone as well, too, as they were passing off the motion, which we'll get Andy Reid's name of plays. That's a whole other story. But I would agree with you. Is I look at this list. I like Raheem Morris in this one. I, honestly, I think he would have been a slam dunk home run because for him, it sounded like the Cardinals were leaning towards a defensive guy. Basically, just trying to go as opposite of Cliff Kingsbury as they could get. Basically, it's like you leave one as a sour taste, you tend to gravitate towards the opposite. Raheem Morris, fantastic fit, defensive guy. You know he's going to get along with Kyler. He's not going to take any of Kyler's Call of Duty-ish. He's going to keep him right in line. He knows how to be a head coach. He knows how to build a team, knows how to put a staff together. Rich Bisaki, as we mentioned as well, too, clearly knows how to be a head coach in his short stint. Steve Wilkes would have been a good one, but I understand why it could have been tough to bring him back after he already got the short end of the stick there, but that would have been a good option as well. Your other two candidates, Lou Amarillo, the D coordinator of the Bengals, who has multiple years of Giving this, giving those same Chiefs absolute fits, giving Josh Allen absolute fits, like giving teams fits. You could have gone with Callahan, who they had interviewed but kind of moved on from quickly. The offensive coordinator, the Bengals. There were better options, I felt like, and that's not a shot at Gannon. It's more of me upraising all the other ones, and you went with the one with the least experience, who's coming off his worst performance in the biggest moment as well, too. He needs. He's only had what was it a year as a coordinator, maybe two, and before that, he's primarily like an assistant, like not even like a positional coach as much so that's why it was kind of rough for me and i'm just looking i'm like you have a top three pick you could trade that and get a buttload of picks because that quarterback those top three picks i wouldn't be surprised they end up being quarterbacks with the bears and the cardinals trading out to get a bunch of them because if let's say the colts trade up with the bears the bears are getting will anderson or jalen carter that at number four they're set cardinals might look at that and be like which one of those guys is going to turn our season around right now we'll need the one of them because this is a throwaway season then they trade back and get a buttload of picks so like i think you're in a position to do a lot, and I think that's where a guy like a Raheem Morris would have been such a good fit. A guy who can also build a staff because you're going you, to reconstruct an entire staff, an offensive coordinator to work with Kyler, a defensive coordinator to work with all of those pieces as well. Too. There's, I'm not going to say they failed or flopped because we have to see it in action where this is all speculation, but Lord almighty, I think they might – like the initial reading is out of the five head coaching vacancies filled, I'm ranking them at five right now with a lot – a lot to prove still, but they're definitely sitting at number five when you compare it to the other four that got filled. It does feel like that. And to your point about Gannon, yes, he was D.C. with the Eagles for two years. Uh, and then before that, Indianapolis Colts defensive backs coach, Vikings defensive back, assistant defensive backs coach, um, tw- Tennessee Titans defensive quality control coach, Falcons defensive quality coach, control coach, graduate assistant in 06 at Louisville, and a student assistant in, in 03 to 05 in Louisville. So, yeah, no, no, no coordinating position until the Eagles. And I mean, now I will say all of his stops at the times that he made these stops at, the, at some of these teams, his position group or defense did actually have some really good seasons there. But is that to him or is that to something else? I will just leave that up for debate. I will say he's definitely done a good job with his stops. But at the same time, like, let's not run before we can walk. Now, the defense had an explosive year getting sacks. But at the same time, too, we kind of saw if you can slow down that pass rush, they had issues with the secondary sometimes being barbecue chicken. We saw it with the Cowboys on, on Christmas Day as well, too. We saw it here in the Super Bowl. It's a great defense, and it, he did a really good job. But to be a head coach, you got to be able to make those adjustments on the fly, which we kind of saw in the Super Bowl. Not so much. And really, I think my problem is when you look at everybody else who's available. I think that's the problem is those other people that were active candidates that you spoke with as well. So if there was, If none of those guys were interviewed or were on the market, for example – then okay, maybe not as bad. But this was a very good head coaching cycle, and I feel like only a couple of them are it's like, oh, 
Like I look at Sean Payton. Okay. That makes sense for Denver. Like, obviously you need something to get Russell Wilson back off to stop two stepping and get back into the huddle. You look at Carolina, Frank Reich. I honestly don't hate that one. I think it should have been Wilkes, but Frank Reich's a pretty good plan B head coaching experience, a guy to build around your next quarterback. Steichen with Indy could have been better, but I get it because they're already all in on a young quarterback and he's shown versatility. And based on the interview, they said he was the only one that had like a full 12 step plan of how he's going to do it basically. So he just basically he came in with a plan and blew them away. So I get that. Gannon, I, st- I just, I just don't get it. I ju- I'm just not seeing it. I, I could be being pessimistic. I could be being a jerk. I'm just not quite seeing it right now when you look at those other options. So we'll, we'll see. And on top of that too, Eric B who you mentioned, now he's at the point where he's literally interviewing for offensive coordinator of the Washington Commanders, which that's a lateral move, but just what trying to do whatever he has to do to get a job, which you go from Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid. Now you're stuck with maybe Sam Howell. And if he turns that team around, they should I then everybody should be throwing a blank check at him back. We are sorry for the last five years that we were wrong. Because my goodness, it's a shame you have to go lateral to try and go up like that. And and to hear his, his former players talk about it too. That's the part that I'm really like. Come on, that should tell you a lot. And to see his head coach say he needs to go when he moves on, he needs to be in charge of a team. Like, that's a lot of kudos, especially from somebody like Andy Reid. That's not just anybody giving you those kudos. That is Andy Reid. That's Big Red himself. That's that's the big walrus. That's whatever you want to call him. That's the dude that has turned around two franchises from poverty franchises for the time to making Super Bowl appearances every other year, it feels like. I or at least or at least championship conference championship appearances every year because those Eagles teams, I mean, how many times did they go to the conference championship? Five? Four in a row. And I think one other one later on towards the end of the McNabb era. So by my count, that's 10 championship games between his last two stops. Cause he's got five in a row with the chiefs and I believe five with the Eagles. It's silly. Absolutely silly to think about. And so, yeah, like, come on, like Eric B needs a job. I, I don't even, if he move if he moves on from the chiefs for a lateral position, there's something wrong in the NFL. We already know there's something wrong in the NFL, but it just proves that there's something wrong in the NFL. Like he, unless he's telling people walking in there and saying, I deserve full control and GM job, like basically the Bill Belichick treatment right out of the gate, like trying to pull a Josh McDaniels, what he tried to do basically as well too. I, it doesn't quite make sense to me completely, especially when I look at the other people getting the job by Josh McDaniels. Like I, I digress though. So if he goes to Washington, hopefully he ends up taking over the job there or something if he flips him around, because I, I don't know. I kind of hope he doesn't. I hope he doesn't go to Washington. I hope not either, but, like, maybe. I don't want to see that offense under Eric Bieniemy because the, the the Cowboys might never beat Washington again. And you never know. We'll have to see how good Sam Howell is as well, too, because he, really so, he can only do so much. But that is something we're looking at. But really quickly, rounding out the NFL news cycle, too, is speaking of prominent quarterbacks, Derek Carr is uh, out of the parking lot in Las Vegas and he is on the move after using his no trade clause and telling the Raiders, you will not trade me. So forcing his release there to now sign wherever he wants for whatever he wants. And you know what? At first I I looked at this, I was like, it's kind of a, kind of a dick move there, Derek Carr, kind of a dick move. And the more I thought about it, I was like, that's a smart move, Derek Carr, because they kind of gave you the shaft. So you're going to give it right back to them as well, too, considering now, wherever you go, they don't have to give up anything to get you. Like you don't have to worry about losing a third round pick, a second round pick, a player. So he can go wherever he wants for whatever he wants, whenever he wants, without having to give up anything. So, touche, Derek, touche. Yeah, on top of that, and, and and this is kind of an underrated part of what he did. He kind of helped out the 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 Raiders in a little bit by not by basically forcing them to just say we're going to cut you and giving them a, a firm like, all right, we have to figure out a trade in the next day or cut you. Like that was it. Like there was no ifs ands or buts because that fifty million dollar guarantee was. 
hovering right there. And he was just like, all right, well, here you go. So in a weird way, as 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 much as I want to say, like, you know, everybody's gonna be like, oh, well, that's a greedy move by Carr. He actually still kind of helped out the Raiders at the end of the day in, in, in the same way. So I don't know. It's to me, I'm I'm glad to see Derek Carr stand up for himself though, because he's been the dude's been the franchise face for the for the Raiders for I don't know, what is it now, 10 years? Almost Pretty 11. Yeah. So I mean, outside of the year where where he was an MVP candidate and broke his leg, he's really gotten not a lot not a lot of help in this entire time there. And you know, he's had pieces and parts here and there, but like up until Devontae this season, and then unfortunately you had to deal with Josh McDaniels. So you know, there wasn't a whole lot working out there. I'm going to go back to my main point that we hammered home too. If they keep Rich Bisakia, give him that head coaching job that he earned. I think we have a completely different conversation here. And I think the Raiders we predicted in the preseason that everyone thought could be a force just with their pure offensive ability and their weapons and everything they had, plus some good defensive pieces like Max Crosby, et cetera, that we knew it was going to be 30 to 35 games every week. We knew they weren't stopping anybody really. But if you keep Rich Pisaki, let him put together his staff. I think we're talking about those Raiders and I don't think Carr is on the move. I think they're, I think it's a completely different conversation, but last we get to see Josh McDaniels around too. And we'll see if he can, uh, if things have changed or if they, if history repeats itself with him, but Derek Carr on the move real quickly, which team, if you had to pick a couple of teams, where do you think he'd be the best fit? I think the saints um, are probably the obvious one here. Um, I, I still want to, you know, reach and maybe go Rams potentially just as a, we don't know what's going to happen with Stafford's shoulder and obviously Baker's there, but Baker or car technically too. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I'm going car in that situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I want to throw a wild out the wild one out there, potentially go to Carolina team over Frank Reich. Um, you know, two, two men of God there in, in and Carolina and, and take, you can use on a not quarterback too. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to, I'm going to say probably NFC South is probably his, his <laughs> final destination there. <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to, I'm just going to say the NFC South in general and just leave it there. You know, that's a really safe bet as well, too. I, li- I like those ones a lot. That Carolina one gets better and better each time you think about it, too. A DJ Moore out there as well, that rebuilding team, knew a coach that very quarterback-friendly coach, especially one who can move a little but who's not stuck completely stone-footed as well. So I like that one a lot. The other one I'll throw out is even though it sounds like they want Aaron Rodgers, I think the Jets is a pretty good fit as well, too, especially because they want to give up anything for him. I think that that's a good option. Brees Hall, Garrett Wilson, that defense, a young offensive line that if they can stay healthy gets better. And then another one that's probably a lateral move, but could be fun. If you went to the Tennessee Titans, maybe. Obviously, they already kind of have Ryan Tannehill. You already kind of got a a declining Ryan Tannehill who's now injured. So it's not a lateral move, but it's not a huge step up necessarily. And I don't know what they think of Malik Willis, considering they basically just used him as a gadget guy. So we'll have to wait and see. But there's a there's definitely a few options in there as well, too. Or maybe, maybe Green Bay, if they get rid of Aaron Rodgers, they bring in Derek Carr if they're not sold on love. Like there's there, there will be a market for him. I, there will definitely be a market for him. But I, I'm agreeing with you on that one. That Carolina one sounds better each time you think about it as well, too. Like, keep pounding it is, and I think that's a good fit for him. Yeah, you know, hey, why not? Why, why at this point in time, why not? Because at, we've seen everything else in the NFL. Let's see Derek Carr end his way up into Carolina somehow. I mean, well, it's a very winnable division. So just adding him alone with the pieces they do have, the pieces they kept at the trade deadline, like Brian Burns and an actual NFL head coach now. I know that's not a shot at Wilkes. That was more of a shot at Rule. But you know, you never know. And that they got a good defensive staff bringing in Avaro as the D coordinator, too. The guy who was interviewing for head coaching jobs. Now, yeah, that's a, that's a scary team in a very bad division. So I, I like that he one. Was, hey, let's, let's be real. He's the reason the Broncos had a chance in any game this season because of his coordinating. 
So 100%. wasn't even, it sure as heck wasn't that offense. So we'll, Sean Payne's going to have to fix, he's got his work cut out for him. Yeah. And, and look, I also just want to throw out the reason why I say NFC South in general is because outside of one team in the NFC South, all three, uh, the other three quarterback positions wide open. But I mean, really, you have Jameis in one, but eh, he's you have a free Sam agent, Arnold, but meh. And then in, in Tampa, you have, I don't know who. Kyle so. Trask, which means it's wide open right now. Yeah. So, yeah, I was just going to say NFC South, mark it on your, put it on your calendars, but I don't mind. I don't mind any of the other picks. I guarantee if you went to the NFC South, him and him and Mike Evans would have a whole lot of fun of, you know, he's out there somewhere. He, and then Chris Godwin, he runs really good routes. Maybe not Hunter Renfro's slippery routes, but he runs really good routes. And we've seen how much he likes. I, there's some options there. He's, he's hey, got maybe, maybe a reunion between him and Josh Jacobs in Tampa. That'd be something as well, too. They just both tag team their way right on out of there. And Devontae's just sitting there like, you got to be kidding me. What is this? Just stuck there sitting by himself like, Aaron, please come save me. Jared Stidham time. You say that again with a straight face. As the Auburn guy, I need you to say that without giggling. I can't. No, it's, it's, it's not happening. Well, in that case, that's going to go ahead and do it for our tip-off segment, which is going to take us off of the gridiron. And now we're going to head into the main event. And the main event, of course, is brought to you by our good friends over at Manscaped.com. We use code HILOSPORTS. Get yourself 20% off at checkout. If you don't know, Manscaped is the premier brand both on the internet and in real life as far as men's grooming goes. They have all sorts of products from trimmers they got they got shampoo they got conditioners they got body wash they, they even got into the beard game now too they knew beard trimmer as well too they got a little bit of something for everybody i use their products all the time as well too a couple of my favorites includes the nose hair trimmer take a you can hear it running as well too helps you keep the edges nice and tight as well too and surprisingly underrated they got a high quality set of deodorant as well too i started using it the other day and honestly i can get out of the gym and not smell like a foot so I definitely would recommend using different types of Manscaped products for whatever your need is. It doesn't just have to be taking care of the hair down there. Your balls will thank you, but there are plenty of other options as well, too. Kelsey, we don't live in the Midwest necessarily anymore, but you de- they definitely know how to take care of crops, and that's something that you've been a big fan of. Oh, yeah, man, am I ever. Especially now that I'm back working in the office. I got to say, uh, some of these days, I, you know, it's, it was 70 degrees today. Um, so, so, you know, you got, some, you got some sweaty balls down there. So what I did... Hit up the crop reviver during my lunch break right here. Just nice little spray spray, squirt squirt. Man, makes you feel fresh. And as you DJ mentioned, you don't smell like a foot or a wet foot or whatever smell you want to talk about it. It's it smelling like you don't smell bad. You smell pretty good. Yeah, you know, you might even get compliments when you walk back in. Oh man, I like the I like the deodorant or I like the uh, you know cologne you you're wearing. Tricks on them. They don't need to know. Um, so look, it's it, it is helpful by all means, especially big guys or big people in general. We deal with it all the time. Um, or if you just have any warm weather in general, you deal, you deal with it all the time. So be sure to check it out, though. 20% off using code HILOSPORTS at checkout at manscaped.com, guys. You know, just go ahead and take care of the pair down there. Absolutely, as well, too. They will thank you, them and anyone else who's down there will thank you for it as well, too. So that's now going to take us into the hardware, going to the NBA now. We're, we're at almost all-star break. It's sneaking up on us. It's right around the corner as well, too. And there's... We're going to talk about some midseason awards, and while a lot of these teams are not enough balls to go around, but you know what? We're going to still go ahead and give out some awards who we think at this point has earned them as well, too. There's a lot of good candidates. We had to trim this list down quite a bit as well, too. By the way, speaking of trimming, you can go to Manscaped, code Hilo Sports, 20% off. But we decided to go with MVP, Defensive Player of the Year, Rookie of the Year, Sixth Man, and Coach of the Year. These will be the awards we're giving out now as well, too. Kelsey, we're going to work our way up from the bottom up. Who are you looking at for Coach of the Year? So I got to say, I'm down between two people for coach of the year. 
Um, the Homer in me wants to say Mike Brown. Uh, you know, obviously that is just like, that would make sense because I'm a Kings fan. But when have I ever made sense on this show? That, um, that we don't have time to answer that. Yeah, exactly. The answer is probably never at this point in time. And so I'm going to go with the number one team in the NBA, the team ahead in the East. I'm going to go with Joe Mazzulla and those Celtics. The guys stepped in for Ime Udoka after Udoka's missteps, you will say. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I, there's no good way to talk about that. So, look, Joe Mazzulla took over, and you got to say, it is impressive what he's done with the Celtics. I had them as a 5-6 seed potentially with Joe Mazzulla because I didn't know what to expect. And here we are right at the midway break. They're up a half a game. There's still games to be played in the next two days. So they could be up a full game and a half by the time the all-star break actually hits uh, on, on, on Saturday. So we'll have to just wait and see, but man, this is, this has been fun to watch the Celtics team and Joe Mazzulla has it clicking for him. So we'll have to wait and see if he's able to keep it going after the, after the break. But right now uh, all cylinders firing for Joe Mazzulla and those Celtics. Absolutely. They, they didn't miss a beat, honestly. Like not only did they not miss a beat, they might even at the start of the season, they cranked it up to another level early on too. They've, Kind of come back down to earth a little bit, but still number one seed in the East. Number one, I think, tied for the number one seed overall with the Nuggets and the and the Bucks as oh, well. Oh, they're too. they're ahead uh, on win percentage. Oh, they are. Okay, well, either way, like like I said, they are at the top of everything right now. They've definitely earned it as well too. So, speaking of earned it, six man of the year is a bit pretty co- weirdly competitive award right now as well too. So, six man, where you look, where are you looking for on that one? Yeah. So for six man of the year, there's, I mean, honestly, a rookie could win this award at this point in time. Um, if we're really, really looking at it. Uh, but, you know, I, I'm going to go with a guy that, that's kind of underrated in a lot of ways. Uh, in, in my opinion, I think, he's, I think he's underrated. He has been kind of his whole career. Um, I'm going to go Norman Powell. Uh, now at the Clippers. Guy that's just really kept things going for, for this team. Obviously, you have Kawhi. Obviously, you have PG. But you kind of get hits and misses from them both. Um, you know, you haven't gotten a real consistent performance from them as they've come back and, and to playing this season. So, it is it is nice to see somebody like Norman Powell, who coming over from the Raptors, has been just absolutely fantastic. I mean, kind of a, a pickup they got last season that you were just like, oh well, I, he's on the roster, I guess. Cool. Uh, turns out, well, he might be a six man of the year this year. So I do like him for six man. Um, but yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go Norman Powell for sure. I, I like that one as well too. Not one that a lot of people think about, but definitely an underrated. Keeping everything steady with Kawhi's load management, Paul George's in and out of the lineup as well too. So rookie of the year, this one's. Not quite as competitive as we hoped it would be, it feels like. I feel like this one feels almost like a runaway at this point. Yeah, it, I mean, it is. Um, I think I think we're both on the same page with Rookie of the Year right now. I don't think there's any question in anybody's mind. It's Paolo Bontero. Oh. Oh, yeah, yeah, Ben Simmons again. Uh, for Sorry, the 17th <laughs> straight season, Ben Simmons uh, is a rookie. Joel Embiid. Uh, again, <laughs> no, no, but seriously. Uh, Greg Oden. No, um, no, it is really – it's Paolo Bontero, and, and we're all just – we're all just here to watch his him succeed in Orlando. Had an abs, has been having an absolutely ballistic season this year. Um, there were question marks because he was just, you know, the the whole sweating issue at Duke. He would like sweat so much he'd lose five pounds and cramp up. Whatever that happened, like it's he's good. I don't know what they're talking about. This dude is good to go um, every day, every day, every night. Uh, I mean, averaging just shy of twenty points a game giving you 28.1 from three, which is not great, but for a guy like him, he doesn't need to be shooting a whole bunch of threes. Giving you six, six and a half rebounds a game, 3.6 assists a game, almost a steal and a half a block a game. You'll take it if you're the Magic. There's nothing more you could ask for. 
um, from a guy that you're just kind of hoping is, is going to be finally the forward center you need. You've drafted enough of them at this point in time. I feel like uh, it's just been a matter of time before one finally hits. And I think Paolo Banchero is that guy. Absolutely. And they got Mo Bamba out of there. So they're slowly working their way through these center power forwards. And I think they found the one. They just got to now figure out what to do with the 19 others that they've drafted in recent memory. All yeah, you got, you got, your, got rid of Vucevic last year, too. So, you know, you, you only have so many more left. You only got a full. Yeah, actually, you just got Jonathan Isaac back healthy. So maybe that's that's going to help him, help that help out as well. Absolutely. As old as his comeback story has been a great one as well, too. It's been about three years since we last saw him play with just unfortunate injury. So definitely something to keep an eye on. Another weirdly competitive award is Defensive Player of the Year, who, when you look at the top of the rankings right now, it's not necessarily who we thought it would be coming into the season, but there's it's pretty crowded there at the top. Yeah, you know, it's funny because I, I we talked about this guy. To me, uh, we to, you know, I think this is funny, and, and maybe in the, uh, the ha-ha irony way um, more than anything, but the, the guy I picked is actually the guy we talked about. We had a whole segment on, 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 on him, and it's not his fault that we had a segment. It's the scorekeeper's fault. Uh, it turns out after an, after an investigation from the NBA, all the stats turned out to be close to, as close to correct as possible. So uh, with that said, Jaron Jackson is my pick for defensive player of the year as of right now. Um, you you want to talk about some fun stats here. One still a game and 3.3 blocks a game defensively, giving you almost seven rebounds a game as well. Um, defensively, it, it, there's no question. He's been, a, he's been a stud the last few years. This has really been what he hang, hung his hat on. In all the Grizzlies runs is defensive ability, you know, kind of tag teaming there um, on the inside while, you know, between John Morant and everybody else, they had the outside covered. But I think, you know, in this case, it's been Jaron Jackson. And, and I do think there's a few other guys that you could really make a name for, um, you know, obviously that, that could that could be here. But I'm going to stick with Jaron Jackson right now. And as always, you can always say Giannis up here and or Joel Embiid. But I'm not going to pick those two because – I feel like that's cheating at this point in time for defensive player of the year. Um, so yeah, give me, give me, give me Jaron Jackson Jr. on this one. Absolutely. He's definitely been, he's definitely come into his own defensively as well too, for the former grindhouse. And now we head to the, the one that everyone's going to be arguing about, no matter what happens on barring an incredible run, the last 20 or 30 games or so as well too, where someone separates himself, the most valuable player award. Now we got, I would say five guys with a reasonable shot at it, two to three that are clear front runners, and then two to three dark horses. If I had to guess, if we were just going down the list, which who do you, who do you think stands above the rest right now with at about the All Star break? Uh, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Maybe this is the wrong pick, uh, considering he just got a running mate that they don't know what to do at the very end of the game. Uh, but this man is averaging 33.2 points a game, giving you almost 35 percent from three. Shooting at about a 51% clip, giving it 8.9 rebounds, so almost nine rebounds, 8.1 assists, a one and a half steals a game, and a half a block a game. If you guys don't know, it's the guy that I've been scared to death of for the last few seasons. This Luca is my MVP pick because at this point in time, I'd be stupid to ignore him any longer because I think at this one, I would just I would become Skip Bayless and just ignoring the, the obvious things if I if I if I did that. And I don't ever want to become Skip Bayless. So here I am. I'm picking Luca. I'm admitting my faults in the past. Luca is the current, should probably continue his clip depending on how he and Kyrie can finally mesh together. Of I, I you know, and I do think he does take the, the Batman role and Kyrie will end up the, the Robin role. Um, but as long as that happens, as long as they can mesh, I think there's nothing stopping Luca because now he has a guy next to him who can take some of this pressure that he's been facing as really the only option. And it takes some of it off of him. He doesn't have to put up 45, 60, 55, 40, 
you know, uh, every other night. Like he can actually go out there and put up 35 and Kyrie can give you 25 and take some of the pressure, get you eight assists is from Kyrie as well. So I think there's an opportunity here. And and I think we're going to see even an even better Luca after the, the all-star break. But I think right now, yeah, it's Luca Doncic. I will say if they can get themselves into like a top three seed in the West right now, they're sitting at about six, but if they can get themselves into that top three spot, I think that makes it a very strong case, especially if him and Kyrie, if he's still clearly like that dude. And then Kyrie is just somebody can, is his, is his running mate basically, if that makes sense too, where it doesn't take anything, but I like that pick. And if I'm not mistaken, they still have not won a game that Luca has not played in. So anytime he's gotten hurt, they have not won a game. So it is Luca, Luca win, lose or tie Luca until they die, or hopefully until he a bit basically. So I, I agree with that one. Luca's making a very, very strong case as well too. I have him. It's probably in that four to five spot right now, but I think he's Ooh. staring it. I think he's just Ooh. staring it right in the face, and it's only because they're sitting in the sixty because he missed so many games. If and that is true, and and and, and I, I to be fair, I mean there are a lot of guys that are up here right now. You still, uh, you still have the perennial conversation for Nikola Jokic and, and Joel Embiid to have in this MVP role. I don't think either one of us picked them, so that's why I'm throwing them out there. Um, and, and obviously there's a couple other guys that you could probably throw out there that have been just perennially in this conversation. Um, so yeah, I mean, definitely looking at Luca, obviously if he stays healthy, can, can take this role, but yeah, I mean, don't forget also, I I'd say a dark horse and this is going to be a really dark horse here, but depending on how they finish in the East. And, uh, I do think Donovan Mitchell could potentially play his way in to an MVP conversation. Spoiler. That's actually what I had is like that fifth, sixth guy. That's like right on the conversation as well too. Like, I think he's, if they finish in that top two spot, especially since the Nets, we imagine are going to go a little bit farther down. We'll see how the Celtics and the Bucks and the teams ahead of them kind of hold it. But Mitchell can kind of get healthy and get back to how he started the season, averaging like 30, and they get in a, they go on a run. He's a very, very sneaky candidate, depending on how others go. My only concern is he doesn't forcibly stuff the stat sheet enough on a consistent basis. Like He lets Darius Garland have too much fun sometimes. Exactly. He lets everybody cook and kind of play winning basketball as well, too. He does, if the ball, he's not as ball-dominant as some of these other guys up here. So his his, number, his advanced analytic numbers are not going to look quite as pretty, minus when he got, gave you 72, 72 wings. But real quickly, go ahead and recap for us what you're looking at for your All-Star Weekend NBA Awards. Yeah, so real quick, my my All Star Week NBA Midseason Awards. We're gonna start from the bottom, work my way up. Coach of the Year, Joe Mazzulla for the Celtics. Sixth Man of the Year, Norman Powell. Rookie of the Year, Paolo Banchero. Defensive Player of the Year, Jaron Jackson Jr. And my MVP is Luka Doncic. Luka continue continues to be at the top of all your lists, and he will be until proven otherwise as well. So I'm just so. not gonna pick. I'm not gonna pick anything else anymore. It's gonna be Luka and everybody else. Like. I, Luca, and then if it's a rookie conversation, it's Paolo Bontero. Like those are the two. Like that's it. I'm not picking anybody else. You know what? You're going to win a lot more arguments than you would otherwise as well. Too. It's the it's the LeBron cat. It's the LeBron thing all over again almost. But looking at my list now, we're going to start a coach of the year. And you know what? You may have not done it because you're the homer, but I'm going to do it. I'm looking at Mike Brown, your Sacramento's Kings head coach. They're, they're sitting in a top four spot in the West at All Star right Weekend. They're three right now. Even better than I thought. They were supposed to be competing to be the 10th seed. Like they were supposed to have to fight tooth and nail to get the 10th seed. And right now the only they just they had a little mini slump for a little bit there, but they're still sitting strong with the best in the West right now. De'Aaron Fox should have been an all-star, not a reserve. Dante Sabonis is honestly he's almost a triple double machine at this point. He has been fantastic. Excuse me. They look absolutely fantastic across the board. They're very they're greater than the sum of their parts. Those are they're obviously that's their dynamic duel, but they play even better than that. Mike Brown just continues to get the most out of his players. 
whenever every time he's every stop he's been, he's found a way to get the most out of him as well. Too won 66 games in back to back years with LeBron and the boys. That they are Booby Gibson's the other and Z Drunas Elgowskis are the other names that come to mind. And we only knew Big Z because A, he played with LeBron and could be because he was seven foot four and he, and he had a really cool name. There was not much like he was a good player, but not not worth 66 games as your second best option. So Mike Brown for me continues to be an outstanding coach. And I know you're not going to do it as because you don't want to be the Kings homer, but give me Mike Brown as the NBA coach of the year so far through this NBA midseason. Yeah, I mean, to your point, I want to talk about the 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 parts. Some some are some of the team is greater than the whole. You have Keegan Murray giving you 10 points one night and then giving you a 28 and 30 the other night. Davion Mitchell is kind of fluctuating between 10 and 15 points a night. You have Kevin Werther almost giving you a 20 a night, though. Like, that's impressive to me. And then, oh, by the way, guess who's still playing and is on the Kings roster as a backup, backup point guard? Uh, that's that's Matthew Dellavedova. Hmm. Did you know he still played in the NBA? Because I didn't know he still played in the NBA until this season when he got the, got on the roster. Like, I was shocked that he made, made an NBA roster still. I didn't know he still actually played, honestly, as well, too, until, like you mentioned, until it just randomly popped up on a Kings game. It's like, wait, what? Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. When De'Aaron Fox gets into, in, into, into trouble, you have Davion Mitchell getting into foul trouble. And then you have Kevin Werther who, who has to take a breather. Then comes Matty Delavadova. And then it's just like, <laughs> I remember when you and Kyrie, the big thing was you used to go at it in Cleveland. <laughs> now here you are in Sacramento. But you were that step stopper for about five quarters. I remember that now. Yeah. It's, but yeah, I, I stand. I agree with you on that one. Mike Brown, fantastic job so far. And if the Kings make the playoffs, especially avoiding the playing tournament, they should. It should be. A, it should be fantastic. It should be a pretty straight bet on that one. So next, we'll uh, go to. Six we, we will not hear the end of it if 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 the Kings make the playoffs. By the way, I will not let you hear the end of it. I support this. You. I was born in California too. I as much as I'm not a Kings fan directly, I've always liked the Kings. Like there's nothing to hate about them. Like it's like the Browns kind of too. Like you. Unless you're whoa, a division whoa, 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 whoa. Right now it's different. I'm talking about growing up. They were never really you didn't look at them as a threat, really. So you always I hate up. it only because it's true. That's the only reason I hate that it's that that that, that comparison. Them, right now it's a little bit different. Right now that right now it's a whole different conversation. But like obviously I've always liked the Kings growing up in uh, Chris Chris Weber, uh, Mike Bibby, who's now oh my goodness, Mike Bibby. The there's no hate from the Kings over here, so I'm a fan for it. The only thing they've done that I hate is getting rid of Tyrese Halliburton, but I digress. Sixth man of the year. I'm only the guy who might not get this award just because he might end up starting too many damn games. But right now, I think he still meets the threshold. I'm looking at Jordan Poole for the Golden State Warriors. He, unfortunately, he has started a good amount of games because of Steph Curry's injury and Clay Thompson being banged up. So I don't know if he's going to qualify at the end of the year. But if he does still qualify, he has been absolutely sensational. He's had so many just 20-point games, 30-point games. When he's the guy, he lights it up each and every time as well, too. I just... I'm, my concern is he's not going to get the is he's not going to get the quote unquote six man minutes. He's going to end up playing too many games at this point. When you look at him on the season, he's averaging 21 points, at just about under three rebounds and about five four and a half assists or so. Few turnovers. He's a very high volume high volume player, which is normally what you expect from a six man. Think Jordan Clarkson, Jamal Crawford, that sort of thing as well too. And when he has he started 35 games, so unfortunately Steph Curry's injury has kind of made it. If if he's gonna be if he's gonna if he's gonna be even qualified, but at this point, the next closest competition is like Norman Powell, who's been really really good, and Russ Westbrook, who right now doesn't have a team, so we don't know how this is gonna. Well, he does have a team, I guess, but there's talk about him getting released, and we'll we'll see how that plays out, and if he's gonna be pushed into a starter role as well. 
So Russ there's... might end up as a backup to Jordan Poole before we know it. Well, wouldn't that be something as well, too? There's a whole lot on, but I'm going to go with Jordan Poole as the explosive six man who, as of now, assuming he can, remains qualifying. Rookie of the year, I'm not going to even spend too much time on it since we're towards the back end of the show. Paulo Banchero, it's pretty much hands down at this point. I mean, Keegan Murray's, in, in my opinion, is arguably the number two, but there's a pretty big gap between him and then even Jabari Smith and a few of the other guys. He's, it's a runaway right now, barring something flipping on its head in these next 30 games or so. So moving on now to defensive player of the year. This is a competitive one. I like Jaron Jackson. I actually, put, I actually put some futures bet money on him as well. So I wouldn't mind if he wants to win. It won't, it won't make me a lock because he was a favorite when I picked him. But I'm going to go with Nick Claxton right now. The NBA is block king as of right now, leading in blocks as far as all of those who qualify as well to in blocks per game. He That Nets team has been, as we can clearly now see, it has been a train wreck internally basically the entire time. There's been a lot going on there. He has been a consistent force in the middle, reliable, contesting shots rebounding getting in running in transition and the fact that he can actually play defense in space a little bit just like, a lot like jaron jackson kind of makes him a fantastic defender's versatility i get a lot with nick claxton and honestly the way he just blocks shots nine rebounds to go with it as well too i'm honestly i wouldn't him and jaron jackson for me are kind of in that 1a 1b spot as well too as far as defensive player of the year right now i think it should come down to one of those two as well because i think they do a lot of the same thing the Grizzlies are just a little bit well better well-oiled machine where the Nets are, well, as we can see, they're a mess, and he's still held it down. So remember, once he goes up to block his right hand, the guy pump fakes on his way down, comes with his left hand and blocks the shot as they tried the up and under him. He's an he's an absolute freak on the defensive end. So I'm gonna take Nick Claxton for defensive player of the year in a very close race. Which before we before I have you comment on that, did you know Brooke Lopez is actually the betting favorite right now for defensive player of the year? No, what? Because he's right t- now. He's second in blocks to Nick Claxton, if I'm not mistaken, oh as far gosh. as those who qualify. So, pretty crazy. I forget that he gets those he gets those tip blocks in the paint. <laughs> that, yeah, I, I don't. Um, eh, it helps when you yeah. have young as well too. That's Can we why talk I, about I, a scorekeeper buffer? Uh, <laughs> you know, blunder again. Maybe maybe happened in Milwaukee. Can we go talk to Milwaukee scorekeeper real fast? Well, definitely some investigations go there, but I'm going to roll with Nick Claxton. You mentioned Milwaukee, and you know what? We're going to head up to the Arctic Tundra of Milwaukee for our MVP race, and I'm going with Giannis Antetokounmpo in that race as well, too. He is tied for second in the NBA with 32.5, just under 33 points a game, so just right underneath the, the likes of Joel Embiid as well as Luka, who are sitting at the top. Rebounds, he is sitting at second to your boy, Dante Sabonis. Really, they're tied, but he's showing number two at 12.3 per game. Assists, he's at about four to five as well, too. Efficiency, a ridiculous 55-plus percent. Not to mention for Defensive Player of the Year, we could have easily plugged him in at Defensive Player of the Year, and there'd be very limited ar- arguments at this point. Everyone would be like, yeah, that, that makes sense as well, too. I actually had Nikola Jokic for the, going into this until the last week and some change, where the Bucks have won 11 straight. They have gone on an absolute tear, led by Giannis getting 50 points in 30 minutes. It's not pretty. Watching a play is not pretty for those who aren't like basketball nuts. It's ugly. It's brutal. It's kind of, it's not even, even prime LeBron James. It wasn't pretty because he just cut, but he at least took off. So it was cool watching him fly a little bit. It's like watching prime Shaq, but a little bit less intimidating as he just kind of bullies people and just like basically it all is within that, the circle underneath the basket. There's not a whole lot of elegance or grace or beautiful step backs. It's not pretty. It's he's a bully. In the paint. That's pretty much what it is. He fights people in the paint, and if they get in his way, he shoots a lot of free throws. Not at a great percentage, but a good enough percentage considering what he's able to do. Plus, he runs the floor. 
I know analytics advanced stats will point to some other guys, but when I watch Giannis play, that's the best player on the floor every single night, even when he has an off night. So I'm going to go with Giannis. I'm going to go against the voter fatigue that will probably kick in with that kicked in with him for a little bit. And it's kicked in with Jokic as well. Those two, have, they got four MVPs in a row between the two of them. And I think it's going to rise up right now. It's a five piece. So I'm going to take Giannis, but I like Luca in that conversation as well. And you mentioned both the big men. They're both right in the thick of that conversation as well, too. So it's a competitive race, but I'm going to stick with the freak. Yeah. You know, I definitely don't hate it. Obviously I, I I've talked about this many times. We, the when it comes to voters they just they hate seeing the same names year after year so i don't think nikola Jokic wins it this year unfortunately even though he's probably having a better year completely than last year 100 um, this year he should win it but last year he shouldn't have won it how weird is that yeah and and Giannis, i think as again you talk about just continuous growth i mean he's having an even better year than he's ever had before and he's won unanimous mvps in his time like we're going to talk about this guy that that has that's going to have a, a career season in his life that is possibly the next great one that you know he, he's not going to win an MVP because oh voters don't like it like this is this is the Steve Nash winning an MVP <laughs> over Kobe situation right now this is like and don't get me wrong I love Steve Nash to death he Ugh. deserved an MVP the first just one, not, not the second. one over Kobe. Like that, he did not deserve the one over Kobe. I'm sorry. Um, so yeah, this is the same concept. Like I just feel like we're gonna get a we're gonna get a MVP. That don't get me wrong. In their own rights, yes, like they had an MVP season. Unfortunately, there's gonna be somebody else out there who had their best career stats, who's won a previous MVP, that's gonna get overlooked. Absolutely. And I, for me, the deciding factor, as much as all of the stats are pointing at Jokic averaging the triple double, the six, like all the fun analytic stats to those advanced metrics, whatever I test for me is where it breaks and Giannis defensively as well, too. He adds a different, he adds a top five defensive player element as well, too, while being able to do everything else as well. So we'll, we'll see. It's going to be a competitive race. It depends on who's voting and what they weigh this year, but just re quickly going to recap my NBA all-star weekend award situation, starting from the bottom, working our way up. For Coach of the Year, I got Mike Brown from the Sacramento Kings. Sixth Man of the Year, we're going to go with Jordan Poole of the Golden State Warriors for now, assuming he is still eligible for it. Rookie of the Year, Paulo Banchero. Not a whole lot of conversation there. Defensive Player of the Year, we're going to go with the Nets. Nick Claxton having a, leading the NBA in blocks per game. And for MVP, we're sticking with the Freak in Milwaukee. We're going to stick with Giannis Antetokounmpo, second in scoring and second in rebounds as well, too. So that's what I have for our NBA All-Star Weekend Awards. And I think it's going to be a very, very fun rest of the season here as well, too, as we get get into and see who separates themselves after the All-Star weekend as well, too. But that's going quick to shout out to our graphics guy spelling Giannis's name right. Congratulations on that one. Give that man a raise as well, too, because just the, I would I would have just put freak or Greek. Yeah. I would have done anything. Greek, freak would have been good. Exactly. Or just Giannis. Like there's not a whole lot. Of, there's not a whole lot of uh, other Giannis's you have to worry about getting confused with at that point. It's almost like share at this point. You you know you know who you're talking about. So, or Drake or any single name people sting. Exactly. Madonna. Like it's pretty straightforward at this point. Like they Ozzy. Ex- like even mm-hmm. though Ozzy still is Ozzy Osbourne, we all know Ozzy is just Ozzy. Exactly. The only close one is for us sports nuts to think Ozzy Newsome. That's the only one that gets close. But anyone who's well, not like a sports I mean, nut, like that's the only the only one. But yes, I agree. Ninety nine percent of the of the population, Ozzy is Ozzy. Sweetness. Ozzy sweetness and, and just as a sports fan we all know who the sweet who sweetness is yeah we can go on we can go on and on with this one as well too maybe that's a future episode is best single names but we you know what that's going to go and do it 
for our main event. That's going to take us now into Kelsey's favorite part of every show. And that is the, that is crunch time. Crunch time brought to you by our good friends over at outlier use, go to outlier.bet backslash high low sports, get yourself a free seven day trial, learn how to bet smarter, not harder, follow some trends for, see the guidelines, see that the bucks have won 11 in a row and why it might not be a bad idea to take the money line with them in their next matchup as well too. If everybody is playing, or some prop bets like Giannis going over 30 points. It feels like a pretty safe option night in and night out. So going into crunch time, I'm going to keep mine really quick and painless for us. Looking at the big UFC event this last weekend, we had number one pound for pound versus number two, Islam Makachev versus Alexander Volkanovsky. Fight delivered in every single way, except on the scorecards. I felt a little bit let down. Volkanovsky is the most ridiculous fighter I've ever seen because he is five foot five, listed at like five six, but he's five five. Fights 155 pounds, used to weigh 200 pounds when he played rugby, but still somehow wins all of the distance battles because you just can't seem to hit him because he's so damn short. And you can't take him down because he's a little ball of muscle and you can't get underneath him. And he showed it in that fight, stuffing a bunch of takedowns. And even when he's in a bad position, he was calling the other guy a pussy while punching him in the face while the other guy had his back. He lost the, he lost the MMA match on the scorecards because scoring rounds, which even that I disagreed with a bit. But he won the fight, and he showed, too, that... Why weight classes matter, you can see just that little bit of size difference, but I, I'm glad that they did not change the pound-for-pound pound rankings. The talk in this fight was winner is the pound-for-pound pound number one. I'm glad that even afterwards, like, nah, Volkanovski, you still got this. We, we're, we're, we're taking in this one. Makachev, great fight, great fighter, long, great career ahead of him, but I th- that's a tough one. He, Volkanovski won the fight, Makachev won the scoring match, so... I'm going to keep it short and sweet on that one, too. Volkanovski's a freak, and when him and Yair Rodriguez fight for that 45 belt, that is going to be an incredible matchup is Yair, Yair Rodriguez is the same guy who will do like a backflip 360 cartwheel kick and not think twice about it because he gives absolutely no you-know-what when he flies through the air. So that's what I have for crunch time, taking a, taking a quick peek at the octagon. Kelsey, what, what's on your mind here for crunch time? I feel like, I feel like someone's about to catch some fire. You know, honestly, I didn't really have much on my mind for crunch time until I until we we, we talked about outlier, um, and and we don't have a we don't have a bottom line for this one, so we're going to skip that part of it. Uh, but you know, I, I, we 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 talked about this this weekend. We found out that it's a little sad, sad, bittersweet moment for us. Um, all those times on Colorcast, all those great calls, all those great moments. Unfortunately, Colorcast after almost two and a half years. Uh, of being on, live and on air, allowing you to call your own games, uh, was shut down um, this past, what is it, February 1st, I believe, or January yeah, 1st. December, actually. So back in December. Uh, so unfortunately, you know, it's been a couple <laughs> couple months. But uh, we did just realize and find out ourselves this last weekend. Uh, so we were talking about it a lot this last weekend, kind of reminiscing. And I do, I just want to have a moment and be like, ah, oh, man, it was great. It was great while I was there. But again, I we love Outlier. Uh, we love Outlier.bet and, and all the things they're doing for us. So. Um, we love working with Evan and, and the crew. So as always, you know, we appreciate you guys, but we do miss Colorcast it's just a little bit right now. It was just a kind of had a bittersweet moment as it's, you know, almost two years to the day since we had our very first cast that we we found out about it. So, uh, you know, bittersweet moment there, but like we still love everything that Outlier and Evan and, and the crew are, are, are putting out here. So can't complain too much. Exactly. It was, it was fun because a lot of people that maybe are tuning in, that have tuned in right now, maybe they found us through there as well too, or vice versa. They listened to the cast and went and checked us out on there. It was a, definitely a good time. It'll definitely be a nice nice memory point when it comes to the history of the podcast for us as well too. So definitely going to miss we have plenty. Hey, we have plenty of the, the recordings downloaded. So if we need mm-hmm. to, we can always go back and make a highlight reel from our color cast days. 
if they want to, I mean, spoiler alert, you're already going to know what's happening as well, too. So they, they can see a tra- they can see how, how it changed and how it dramatically went up or down in either direction. But that is going to do it for us today on this episode of the High Low Sports Podcast. We appreciate you all joining us once again. Always a pleasure. We love talking sports with you guys as well, too. Any questions, anything like that, feel free to hit us up on all of our socials. But until next week, we will see you guys again later.